Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi again, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. And hi again to Ken and Russell. Uh, welcome back, gentlemen. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. Good to be back. So we should remind listeners who Ken and Russell are. They're our amazing uh, actor friends. So we have to explain <laughs> why actors are interesting to uh, uh, engineers and uh, executives. Why is that again, Jeffrey? Well, if you actually, I'd say if you want to know that, you can listen to last week's episode for the detailed answer. Good but point. But the, 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 the short version was that they set up scenarios where you can have experiential learning uh, in difficult conversations and the ability to kind of stop, rewind, and try again. So you get practice and you get multiple bites of the apple with people giving you feedback and critiquing. And you can see other people try and learn from their experience, which I think sounds fantastic. So we talked about last time about these scenarios and how you set them up and how you bring an improv actor and people get to act them out. But the goal here in part is you have these scenarios in mind because of patterns of human communication and, and, and notable sticking patterns. You have models that you're applying. Uh, where do you start? What's, what's your overall model that you're bringing to people when they're trying to learn from difficult conversations? Well, I think there's a couple of models that we, we use. The, the first one you alluded to around um, hats was in terms of are we having a challenging conversation or are we having a coaching conversation? Um, and so the, the hats concept was that you know people display behaviors in a similar way that they um, wear a hat. You know, it's something that they put on and are you know being at that moment in time. But similarly, that you can take a hat off, somebody can actually change their behavior. It's not fixed um, that they can. You know, they're always like that all the time. Can never can never change. So the hat model is that we had. Uh, two of the sort of you know, more um, negative behaviors that you would expect to see in the workplace or typically see in the workplace. Uh, one of these was the sun hat wearer and one was the Viking hat wearer. So the sun hat wearer <laughs> was somebody that sort of, well, everything seems to be fine. Why do I need to do anything different? I like doing what I'm doing. And whilst we don't obviously mind if people like what they're doing, if the person is never wanting to change because they just want to keep the status quo all the time, that's all, not always a sort of healthy place for them to be. So we may need to challenge them to move their thinking from, you know, the sort of inertia into action. And then the Viking helmet uh, tends to be the one that perhaps we, we most comes to mind when we talk about difficult conversations because it's either the passive aggressive or the aggressive person. You know, you can't do this. I'm not going to let you. Or the, okay, okay, I understand what you're saying, and then goes away and does exactly what they were doing before and completely ignores you. So that was people like that, and you needed to have a challenging conversation with. Um, and we have a specific model called the beef model, which I can talk about that that, that, that deals with that. On the flip side, uh, we've got the you know the coaching type of conversation. That's somebody who's wearing a hard hat or somebody wearing a graduate cap. So a hard hat is somebody that knows that they need to do something different, but they're not sure how, and they need your help. So they've accepted they need to change, but they need support. Or the graduate cap, which is the sort of hands-off coaching, more light touch, is somebody who's always pretty, already pretty capable, but you're needing to be able to just have a light touch approach with them to keep on uh, moving with them. And we use our coach model with that. So perhaps, Ken, do you want to just describe to our listeners about the, the beef model and the, and the coach? model just as an illustration of the two 
Thank you, Russell. I, I, I'd be happy to do that. And in doing so, I really must credit Russell with the invention of the beef model. It's something that Russell brought to the table when we first started doing this work about a decade ago. Russell had used it in a number of different contexts in the UK. So I'm both uh, flattered that Russell has asked me to explain his model, and I'm also a little bit timid and a little bit uh, trepidatious, uh, hoping that I get it right. Um, but for you'll be graded like, you know, afterwards. You'll, you'll hear from anything you got wrong. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but on the other hand, I've been hearing Russell deliver this in every workshop for 10 years. So I probably got it down pat. Like I could probably repeat it verbatim. <laughs> but the, the idea behind the beef model is we want something that is really simple and easy to remember, even when you're in the middle of a very stressful conversation. So with that in mind, it's four letters, B-E-E-F. So you only have to remember four things, even when you're in the midst of a very stressful conversation, trying to remember what it is that you wanted to say. The first thing you need to remember is you need to describe the behavior to the person that you're talking to. And you need to be really clear about what the behavior is, and it should be something that's relatively high level. Because as soon as you've described the behavior, then you're going to be giving them some examples. And the examples are where you can get specific about what the behavior is. So the behavior isn't so much as you showed up late at work. The behavior is you're not paying a sufficient amount of attention to your responsibilities at work. And an example of that is that you are showing up late to work perpetually every day. And here are some specific examples, some specific days in which you did that. And, you know, you might even go so far as to have like a, a, a attendance log in which you've got a, a written evidence of that. So you can, you know, show the person it was on this day at this time, etc. Then the, the next part of the beef model, the second E in beef, is the example. And this, as Russell says, is really the secret sauce. Because people can argue away the behavior. They can say, well, you know, that's not really what was going on. They can argue the examples. Oh, well, it didn't really happen or it did happen, but it didn't unfold in the way that you said it did. But one thing that's really difficult for them to argue with is the effect that their behavior had on other people on the team or the effect that it had on the company or the effect that it's going to have on their career if they don't change their behaviors. <laughs> I, I like that. The effect, the effect on either that happened, you know, when you were late, this is the result. You know, like you said, you might say, I wasn't that late. Well, because you were late, I had to do this. <laughs> I wouldn't have had to do that if you were on time. And I also like you bring in the shadow of the future here. You know, if this keeps happening, it's going to have this impact. And then the final piece of the beef model, the F, as, is kind of as you described, is the future. But in this context, we're talking about this is the behavior. Once you've gotten them to accept that they need to change their behavior, then the future portion is what I want you to do next, how I want you to go about changing your behavior, and how I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And that may be as simple as you're going to do this, and I'm going to check in with you in a week's time to make sure that you've done it, and we'll reevaluate the, your progress at that point. Very good. And in, so now these, this is the, this beef approach is something you'd use with both the Viking hat and the sun hat. So these are the kind of the people who are resistant either passively or actively. Is that right? That's correct. And it's also something that you can use with the other two hats we described, the hard hat and the graduate cap. For instance, you may have an employee who's done something really well. And Russell um, often talks about catching people in the act of doing things right. And so, Russell, why don't I pass the baton over to you and get you to pick up that uh, lovely quote that you use? Yeah. So, so if you think about predominantly the beef models to pick up people that are maybe on the dark side in that sort of hard hat or um, 
you know, uh, the sun hat. They need to accept they need to do something differently. Once you've done that, you can then sort of flip them over into now taking a more coach approach. But that just on that piece that Ken was saying about catching people doing things right, one of the things you could use if you wanted to use the beef in a, in a, for a more positive conversation is talk about what was the behavior that was great that you saw, what were the examples that were, were, were great, what was the effect it was having that was so good on others, and what you'd like them to continue doing. So you can... It's sort of multifaceted it te- we tend to focus a lot on dealing with a challenging situation but you can also use the same model to reinforce positive behaviors as well and, and um, it's surprising how difficult it can be actually to give somebody effective praise and it can actually be something that's threatening to the person i've given praise which the person really did not accept and which they found difficult so i hope that you sometimes um help uh, folks improve in that area everyone thinks it's easy to praise it's actually quite difficult yeah, for, for, for sure, and uh, you know, not everybody wants to hear, or, or, or what people won't won't hear it because they're either because they feel awkward or they feel embarrassed about it, and can easily sort of sort of poo poo it. Oh, we don't need to worry about that, and I've lost that learning of oh, I really do want you to do more of this because this is excellent, you know. Exactly. Um, and then if you've got people onto that, you know, what I'd say the lighter side, which is the hard hat, ready to give it a go, but needs some help, or the more, which is the more hands-on coaching, and then the sort of light touch, which is the, you know, the, the graduate cap that are already pretty established, we use something called the coach model that Ken and I co-developed. So this was, again, a, a sort of format for having the conversation. Same as the beef model is a format for four things you need to cover with somebody if you're having a challenging conversation, the coach conversation, um, we've up we've up the game. It's five this time, um, and that we've got <laughs> current situation. So it's getting the person to tell you about the current situation, what's going on for them, and what's working, what isn't working, what's the outcome that they desire. So what is it they're looking to achieve, um, and that gives you a chance also to give that check back when you're coaching somebody. Does does their out does the outcome is that really what they want? And is it going to solve the problem that they think they have? So that's something to sort of, you know, uh, have that sort of gut check with them. Um, the A in that model is is about the actions possible. So that's the brainstorming part where you can brainstorm with somebody, okay, you know, you want to be improving in this area. You want to be more confident at public speaking because you've got a, you know, talk that's coming up and your boss had told you in the past that you hadn't done very well. So, you know, what possible actions could you take to improve it this time? And they can brainstorm some ideas. And this is where you mentioned the yes and approach is super helpful rather than the no but if we want ideas the yes and allows people to keep on you know building one idea on top of the other um, and then the critical choice is okay with all these ideas which one do you think is going to well, one or several are going to be the most effective to use to get, meet the outcome you desire based on the situation that you've got you know so it might be that you know, okay, so there are three quite simple steps the person might be able to take. And then the how to be accountable is how do I hold you accountable for doing this? So again, it's making sure that it's future orientated, but also there is um, making sure that the action actually takes place and there's no sort of backsliding. Because one of the things we find with the, um, you know, the, the, the graduate cap and the a hard hat wearer is if you're not managing the situation with them they've accepted they need to do something different but you don't help them do it what happens is they can start to slide back into the negative and then it's like well you know what management's like around here they expect you to do things and then they never give you the support to do them so it it, it hopefully gives leaders the tools to 
recognize the type of situation they're going into, which of the models to choose to use, and it might be that they're going to use the B first and then they're going to use the coach model in what could be separate conversations. Right. Now, I, I, um, I cheated in that I prepped for this conversation by actually reading your book, and I recommend it to people. It's uh, you know how do I, I need to definitely not talk to you. And you do outline these models here: the hats and the beef model and the coach model. And I want to ask you a little bit about this last hat, the graduate cap. Um, so, and I'll say first for context here, I'll kind of map a little bit of your hats. I, I think there's some connection I, I could make, uh, some parallels to the situational leadership model, which we've talked about on the past and, and uh, how people m move from uh, being uh, a, a resistant to willing but unable, able but uncertain, and and finally able and and know they're able. And, and that kind of graduate cap, and you have someone who's now eager and interested. This is my understanding. Please correct me. I'm looking for guidance here. And I think what I want to focus on this is that in my experience managing managers and coaching managers, this is one of the most difficult areas. Is like one of the last skills for people to develop is how to work well with the smart, motivated, intelligent, you know, high amperage people. But it's, I think one of the things is it's not expected. It's not expected to be a difficult conversation. These are often people like rising stars, star performers, strong. They have reputations, maybe. Uh, and why would that be difficult? What's difficult about talking to these high amperage people? But tell me if I'm if I'm categorizing the graduate cap correctly. What what makes someone a graduate cap, and what makes it difficult uh, to have a conversation with them? Yeah, so I think well, what, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of that, that read across if you're going to sort of you know, overlay one model on the other. I think that works pretty well. Um, yeah, somebody's a graduate cap who's somebody who, who you know, has demonstrated that they know how to do something. They can be a self-starter. They can manage something on their own. They don't need you there all the time as their, their manager. But they do need you there um, in the background, I suppose. When I, talk, I use the phrase light touch, to be checking in at various points to see, you know, um, is it still going okay? Um, are there new challenges that have come up? Is there anything that they still need in terms of support? But also that, and we use this example in the book, that there can be an occasion, this is where it comes into the difficult conversation, where somebody, you know, they've got experience and they've done this and they've done very well, but it doesn't mean they know everything. It doesn't mean that they are going to be able to do everything. So you get this part where people sort of, um, what's it, you know, they run before they can walk, or you know, they're already starting to, yeah, I've got this, so now I can go and uh, do this and this. And I, I did this really good marketing plan for this project, so actually I'm going to completely rewrite the marketing strategy for the company because I think this would be a great idea, wouldn't it? And you're like, no, because that's not what that's beyond <laughs> the scope of what I need you to do. And we have this in software where where somebody decides to rewrite the entire program. So we we know what that's like in the software world too. Yeah, and that that's exactly the thing. And the, so the difficult part, in some ways, there is trying to rein somebody in while still maintaining the the you know the positivity about what they're good at, but just in some ways like sort of tempering it slightly, like, you know, put some reins on easy, 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 like with a horse really, when it's going oh, easy, just just ease a little bit here because are we making sure that we're not just going to go headlong headlong into trouble? So that's where the challenge comes in because the person often is saying, you know, but I know how to do this, you know, I've already got the track record, look at all the you know positive testimonials. And 
one of our examples came from here was talking from one of our, um, our broadcasters here in Calgary who was saying this with junior reporters. And she said one of the things she found as a news anchor was, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've, they've broken one or two big stories. So now they're like, you know, um, you know Peter Mansbridge, which Canadian, you know, as we all know, or... Um, you know, the John Humphreys, if it's the UK listeners or something like that, they, they're already at, uh, Jeremy Paxman for UK. They're already at that level. I've, look, I've already broken a couple of stories locally. You know, why am I not on the world stage as a, as a sort of a, you know, the, a great reporter? And she was like saying, well, just because you've done that, there's other things for you to learn as well. So that's sort of where that original idea of having to sort of rein people in who are quite talented, but haven't quite necessarily mastered everything. Because do, we, do any of us ever get to a stage where we've mastered everything? And and I was saying, is there is there a particular type of uh, a pitfall you find people run into in that scenario? I mean, I expect they come into a lot of fear. How would I talk to this person? They're they're a star, you know, performer. We want to keep them. How do I find that balance of correcting them and keeping them? I think I think I think one of the pitfalls that people come in is sometimes you know and there are there are a number, but one is they can sometimes be a bit overawed by that person's record and so they tend to think well I, I don't really want to sort of say um no to them on this because they are really good and they are one of my best employees and so I don't want to I couldn't bear to lose them um and and so there can be a reluctance in a way to deal with it because somebody is really good 95 percent of the time um and it's in similar it's like the flip side of the okay this person's going to be really problematic and difficult so i won't have the conversation so you know then it's not being had because we don't want to have a conversation with somebody who could be difficult with us or aggressive or something like that but on this case it's like well i don't want to lose them so perhaps i just won't i'll just let them do it the problem is if you let them do it that you know then their scope creep as you were sort of saying with rewriting the software and then everything that they do is going over and above what you particularly want and you can start getting the problems where they're then starting to creep into other people's uh, you know other people's work areas or overlaying between boundaries that you want to have and you'd want them to work collaboratively but they now think well I don't have to because I'm the greatest and I can just do it all myself and ignore everybody else well that's the, that's where the origin of the title of your book comes from right which is if you if you leave these things unsaid eventually you reach the breaking point uh, and you know the, the, all you can say is like okay i i need to definitely talk to you there's no <laughs> there's no alternative but that's the the result of of, of not having uh, addressed this earlier well i think lots of our listeners will have encountered that yeah it's it's a very common trait is that you know we we put it off and we put it off and we put it off for all the reasons that we've described and yet and, and until it gets to the point where you simply just burst out. And as we say in the very first paragraph of the book, I need to effing talk to you is a horrible way to start any kind of conversation. So you really have to make that choice really early on and be really proactive. Is this an issue that needs to be addressed, in which case I'm going to fix it? Or is it an issue that can be lived with, in which case stop bitching about it <laughs> and actually live with it? It would be wonderful if, uh, if everybody were able to live by that. But I, I think the key thing, which we've talked about in both of these episodes, is that you rehearse the, the decisions, the thinking, and the stuff you have to do improvisationally and, uh, on the fly to figure out, am I on the beef model? Am I on the coach model? Have I got a hard hat? Have I got a sun hat? Uh, those decisions are things you have to do without much warning and without much prep time. So you need the prep time ahead of time, which is why I think you're 
uh, approach in your workshops and, and elsewhere is so interesting and, and innovative, you get actual actors in there so that you can practice with people who are uh, performing as the, the folks with whom you'll need to do this. That, that sounds like it'll be really interesting to all of our listeners. And it's, I, I think it's really uh, important to just recognize that every time we do one of these workshops, we have the participants will lay out everything that they want to say using any of our different models that, that we've just talked about. And then they'll come up to have the conversation. And as Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face. <laughs> because as soon as the as soon as the scenario starts, the actor will say something that they weren't expecting, and then they're like, "Oh, oh no! Now what do I do? Now what do I say?" And they they'll often be caught out in a in a place where they don't know where to go next. And so that's where the the uh, high octane role play with a, a live actor in front of you and audience watching you really comes into play. Because it's at that point that you realize you come to realize that it's not it's not just about the preparation; it's about using the preparation as a launching pad or a trampoline so that I can then begin to improv comfortably in the middle of this conversation and respond to what's being said to me. Which means like actually listening to the other person, what they have to say. <laughs> Absolutely. And to say one thing that we sort of, you know, close our workshops with to sort of, you know, illustrate a learning point for people is using our improv artist as an example because they'll often say, oh, they were fantastic, which they are. They were fantastic, and they could play these different characters, and they could show us all these different reactions and you know different things. And you say, yeah, the reason they could do that is because they had prepared for the scenario. They, you know, uh, we were only saying that with our actor last week, if you looked at not just the notes that we'd given him, but the notes that he'd written for himself, you know, it wasn't a blank sheet of paper that he was going to come up and just go, oh, I'll, I'll just improvise. And that's when people come up to have the conversation themselves. Some of them will come up and say, I don't need any notes. I'm just going to improvise. And they get part of the way and realize, oh, I'm not sure what to do now. So, well, you can improvise <laughs> because you've practiced and thought it through. And the experience of having done it on the workshop gives you that preparation. And that takes it right back to what we were saying in our, the last time we were here. You know, with the, the origins of some of this coming from, you know, work with the, you know, the police and emergency services and the military, you know, that's why they're trained training is that way so that people are prepared that the first time they come into contact with X happens, which is often can be sort of life-threatening occasions, they're not totally thrown because they've been through it in a simulation. So they've got an idea, okay, I know that this is how I like to, I'm going to like you to react. I know this is what likes to be going on around me. So I have the confidence and the experience to be able to manage that. And it's, you know, in a lesser degree, less riding on it is really for our participants there. You know, there's, they've, they, they know is I've been in a workshop and done this and I could deal with the, the uncertainty and I could improvise based on my notes. So, okay, now when I come in to do it for real, I've had the experience to draw on. Okay, I know what's I know what's coming here. I know how I can you know listen and then react, and it, it helps them immensely. And that's a, I think that's a perfect closing point there, which is it. You know, we have these models. The models are wonderful. You can learn them, but you don't really know them until you've had the experience. You have to. These are skills that require practice. And uh, so it's sort of like, you know, what was the a, a quote that um, school you had from one, from someone you were coaching? I feel like I just had a, a kite surfing lesson, but I never got wet. But that is not how you learn how to kite surf. You know, kite surf, kite surfing, learning that's going to, you're, you're going to require getting wet. If you're learning to play a piano, you're going to write, hit a lot of false notes. If you're going to apply these models, you're going to have a lot of missteps. You're going to, you're going to have to have that experience of, of failure 
of, of finding the errors, finding the mistakes of your delivery and correcting it and learning from it before you can actually say that you've learned how to do it. Um, so I think your, your approach for it is fantastic. This is a message we're giving our listeners all the time. Uh, rehearse, practice, revise, uh, learn more, be ready. And I think you've given us a very good example of how you can do that in quite a sophisticated way, that even if you can't do it in a sophisticated way, if it works for people who have to deal with hostage negotiations and fires and, and other disasters, uh, you know, the, the uh, engineer who's been a day late uh, on uh, a project seems to pale by comparison. You know, you probably can manage doing <laughs> some preparation for that. And, and we'd certainly encourage our listeners to do that, whether or not they have the trained actors that, that you bring. Um, but certainly... Uh, they should also get in touch with you because it uh, sounds like you do wonderful things that uh, could really help a lot of our listeners. How would they get in touch with you to learn more, to see some of your courses and the activities that you do? Well, the best way to get a hold of us is through our website, I need to effing talk to you com, And there you can reach out to us personally. You can book a workshop. You can order the book that you, uh, Jeffrey was referencing earlier. Or you can take one of our online courses in which we have actors illustrating some of these different principles that we've talked about. Fantastic. Well, uh, that'll all be in the show notes. So uh, if listeners are driving or something, you don't need to try to write that down. You'll go look at it later. But uh, it, you can also get in touch with Jeffrey and me if you'd like to do that, uh, particularly if you'd like to know how can this apply better to, to software development? How can we use it in our Agile team? Uh, we disagree. I disagree with you. I don't think that uh, rehearsal is useful. I think I'm really good at improvising. Any of that we love to hear because we like to hear when people agree or disagree with us. You can find us at agileconversations.com. Uh, there's also free videos. There's uh, uh, blog posts. There's transcripts of the 200-odd episodes of this podcast we've done. Loads of stuff there, including also our Twitter and email and, and lots of other ways to get in touch with us. So, and the other way, of course, to keep in touch with us is to come back next week. So we'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thank you to Jeffrey, Ken, and Russell. Thanks, Carl. Thanks. Thanks.